The Soda Pod is proudly presented by 7th Avenue Pizza. 7th Ave Pizza produces the highest quality, best tasting frozen pizza available in the market today. If delicious toppings are what you crave, look no further. Try the meat sauce pizza today because it wails, folks. Follow them at 7th Avenue Pizza to stay current on where you can grab yours today. Get you some 7th Avenue Pizza today. Now let's get right to the show. Folks, it finally happened. It's been a long time coming, but I found somebody brave enough to join me as a guest for an episode of the Judd's Buds podcast. Our first guest in the history of Judd's Buds, and it's a big one. One of my favorite follows on Twitter and just one of my favorite guys in general. Thank you so much for joining the show this evening, the one and only Dan Myers. Dan, how we doing? Doing great, man. How you doing? It's all kinds of pressure now, being the first guest on here. Hoping to let you down. Or no pressure at all. There's no, <laughs> there is no bar. So you know what? We'll just start talking and just see where it goes. But uh, I'm the but king yeah. of low expectations, so I'm all about it. Let's go. I like to. I refer to myself as making average extraordinary. So you know, we'll make it. We'll make it happen, man. Uh, but yeah, psyched to have you here. Like I said, first guest. So this could go horrible. Could go great. There's really no in between. That's just uh, the show in general. But. You know, you're a seasoned veteran in the podcast game, so I might have you uh, take over here. But uh, how's the summer going? I think I've seen you hitting the links a few, a little bit out there. How's the handicap? Uh, the golf has not been good, um, but it's been golf, and it beats the hell out of pretty much, you know, doing anything else. I mean, you as a, as a guy who lives north of the Mason-Dixon line, you know, uh, we live for these summer months. They they don't come around very – or they're not around for very long, so – when you're suffering through a long, cold winter and here in, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Twin Cities area, spring didn't arrive or summer didn't arrive until about, I don't know, two weeks ago. It's been in the 60s all the way up until like the start of June. So, you know what? I'm going to get my ass in the golf course every single day as much as I can this summer and we'll see what happens come the fall, right? Oh, love that. Yeah, no, I mean, the point of golf isn't to be good. It's, uh, in my opinion anyways, it's you bring the cooler, you make sure it's full. You leave, it's empty. It's been a good day. Uh, but like you said, any any day on the course is better than the day in the office. But uh, and you can drive the golf cart, which is also fun. I, I, I like the little yeah. 13 or 14 year old in me is I still get excited to throw the clubs in the cart. And it's actually there's like oh, a treat yeah. in actually driving the cart, dude. I am the worst cart buddy. Like, I spread out, I use every cup holder. With, I mean, I have like one cup. I got like, oh yeah, no, I, like yeah, I, I got to get new balls. I need this sixteen dollars for a sleeve of uh, balls because I'm that you know I, they all make a difference. So, but yeah, they're and everywhere. they're all gone by the time you get to the fourth tee box. Oh my god, I wait the turn. I'm like, I haven't hit a shot in two holes because all the balls are gone. They're in the water. They're in the woods. Golf, hiking, same thing for me. I'm usually just walking around. You so know? then you're the guy that's walking along the pond, walking along the weed line, just looking for any max fly or. Anything like Absolutely. that, that some schmuck hit into the woods, you know, a few minutes before you. That's how I am, too. I am the top flight of uh, Minnesota wild podcasting. So, you know, it, it's fitting, you know. Hey, you know um, what? The top flights are OK, too. We've all had top flights. Yeah. I mean, you can't you all be to. you can't all be pro V's, man. No, no, definitely. Yeah, no, I should not be hitting those. I actually just the one birthday gift I got. 
I got the tailor made with the the little triangles on there. Oh, I nice. Which way is which? Yeah, no, these will last two rounds. Um, wow, two rounds. Two I just holes. bought. Uh, I bought the um, a couple nights ago. I bought the tailor mades with the, the the neon green stripe, like the pro stripe, oh. way more than I need. But I I want it because they're good for you know you line them up and when you're on the green and you're putting. You can immediately Huge. tell if you've made good ball contact because it rolls end over end. But with me, like it just, it's all kitty wampus. So it's, I know immediately oh, yeah. that I hit a shitty shot and, you know, I ended up looking at it and it's like, man, I could have just saved myself 20 bucks and bought myself some max flies and probably yeah. done the same thing, but looks cool, Mass man. Flies, and you know what, yeah. if, as long as you're dressed well on the course, you got a cooler full of beer and you got expensive <laughs> golf balls, at least you look the part, right? You look good getting off the bus as they say. Exactly. Yeah. That's the intimidation factor. You walk in, you got either the full Nike or in our case with this podcast, Waggle Golf. Uh, you walk oh, out with that like, oh, shit, this kid's for real. No, this the wa- the Waggle Golf gear is legit, man. That's solid. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Those guys are the best. Uh, sneaky guest or sneaky guest sponsor. That's what I meant to say. But um, yeah, no, I it's the intimidation factor until we get the tee box and then I drive it about eight feet and it goes all the way to the right. And they're like, all right, this guy's an asshole. Um, but anyway, then, then the, enough, then the, uh, the excuses just start up, right? It's oh, like, oh, yeah. Oh, I haven't played in a while. Or, oh, man, I'm a little sore this morning. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, gosh, oh, well, once the beer cart starts coming around, then I loosen up. You, you know, I'm just a little aiming uh, fluid never hurt anybody. Yeah, yeah, just get a little lubed up, is all. Um, that's enough golf talk, considering the Minnesota Wild are doing enough golf, uh, right now with how their season ended. But, um, I mean, you've kind of seen this team totally transformed just in your role uh, writing for the team. How's it been for you seeing, you know, when you started in the team that was many people would say that they're the most boring team in hockey, uh, you know, with this podcast being about prospects, the prospect pool never being, you know, anything to brag about. And now in the last couple of years, it feels like it's totally turned around. Like I've always said the last two years, it's like they're in the sweet spot. If you're an organization where you're competing, you're hoping uh, to make deep runs in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you've got a deep prospect pool. So how's that been for you, just seeing that kind of evolution of the of Minnesota in that front office? You know, it's been crazy. You know, even going back to, you know, I started working for the team in 2016. Uh, you know, me and, and Bruce Boudreau had our first year with the team, officially with the team uh, the same year. But, I, you know, I covered the Wild pretty closely for NHL.com in the same role that Jesse Pierce um, you know, rights for them now going back to 2011, 2012 in the season before Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter arrived. You want to talk about prospects. We're talking about, you know, a time when Mikhail Granlin, Jonas Brodeen, um, Jason Zucker, Charlie Coyle, when these guys were kind of that next wave of prospects. And you talk now about the Bowleys and the Rossies and the Wallsteads. You know, this is like two prospect classes ago. Yeah. Uh, where I really started following this team. And it has been amazing. You think back to that first team, um, you know, Kyle Brodziak, I think, scored 22 goals the first year I covered this team, playing top-line minutes when Miko Koivu was out skating between Devin Setaguchi and Danny Heatley. Uh, you know, Warren Peters and Jed Ortmeier are getting extended run uh, in the team's top six. So, um, you know, looking back to that and then what this team was able to accomplish during those Parisi Suter years and seeing those guys come up, you know, adding a piece like Nino Niederreiter and seeing kind of that wave come up and come through and then exit. And then in comes this new era with Kaprizov and Boldy 
uh, and, and this next group of guys that I'm sure we'll talk plenty about here tonight, but uh, it, it really has been a lot of fun to see. And, and you look at just kind of the, the look of this team right now, and you mentioned it with this new front office and the way Bill Guerin and Judd Brackett are trying to build this thing. And I know in the athletic, uh, Minnesota has the number three ranked prospect pool uh, coming into the season. You look at a team that's got uh, four picks in the top 89, uh, you know, and who knows what's going to happen with a guy like Kevin Fiala potentially maybe adding another high-end pick uh, via trade at some point, either at the draft or before the draft. And, you know, there's a chance, like you said, to get to that point where you're consistently in the playoffs competing for division championships, but also being able to build something with long-term success. And when you think back to last summer and the decision Bill Guerin made, the ballsy decision to buy out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter and eat a whole bunch of salary cap space coming up the next few years. This is exactly the way things had to go. And we're only a year into this thing, but it sure looks like uh, that decision uh, has a chance to really pay off if they can continue to build on this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always have to roll my eyes when um, whenever I hear people talking about, you know, now the salary cap crunch comes and all oh, the wild are screwed and they have no way to whatever. That's all this dead money. It's like, yeah, sure. But you clearly, a, don't really watch the Minnesota Wild very often, and you don't really know about the players they have coming. So I have to roll my eyes every time that people start freaking out about you know, the salary cap crunch because, I mean, it sucks. But, yep. again, this is why you draft and develop, and this is why, you know, again, we talk about the old regime. I don't even know if you would, like, count Fenton as a regime, but it's very different now where they're keeping their prospects, A, or – they are at least not forcing them in right away. So, you know, I love the way that Billy Garrett approaches it. I love the way Judd Brackett approaches it where, you know, these guys will come up and play when they're ready. Um, I think, I think the most important addition that Bill Guerin has made in his three years in Minnesota was the addition of Judd Brackett. I, I mm -hmm. think he is so good at what he does and in having conversations with, with Bill Guerin over the last couple of years, he trusts him implicitly. And you and I had, you know, kind of texted privately and, getting a chance last year to sit in in some of those pre-draft meetings and see how uh, seeing how he does his job and then sitting in the draft war room the night of the draft and the and the day of the draft and watching how those two work together in coordination with the scouts and everything else um, you know Bill trusts Judd and Judd is really good at what he does and he's a big reason why this this team you look back to you know what the prospect cupboard looked like at the end of the Chuck Fletcher era. And, you know, I'll give, I'll give Chuck credit. I mean, Chuck took swings and yeah. as a fan, you got to like, love a guy who's going to go out there and take swings come trade deadline time. It doesn't, if it doesn't pay off and it didn't pay off for Minnesota, it looks bad by the time you get to the end of the run, but to Judd Brackett's credit and even Paul Fenton in his, you know, one year he was around, he had a pretty good draft. He made some savvy moves, but Judd Brackett has really come in here and restocked this cupboard rather quickly. And I think anytime, if you're Bill Guerin, anytime you can give uh, Judd more swings, more kicks at the can this time of year, the better that prospect pool is going to get and the better the long-term future this team looks with some of these young guys that are going to be making their way into the system and guys like uh, you know, Boldy, obviously, Kirill Kaprizov that are already making big impacts at the NHL level. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, everything, you know, now, you know, Fenton, it's anytime you bring it up, I think it just sends 
chills down people's spines. But at the time he was making these moves, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, what is what is happening right now? And then for whatever reason, over the course of like a couple of months after he leaves, it kind of started like some of the moves look really good. You know, like the Fiala move, um, you know, some of those draft picks are looking, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, to the guy's credit, you know, gr- like coming through hockey, his strong suit was scouting in theory uh yep. and a lot of those it looks like some of those uh the draft picks that he did make or at least his uh you know that front office made they're looking pretty good just watching these kids every night but i mean even they they take the swing at philip johansson which didn't work out but we talk about the uh, relationship with bill garrett and judd brack how they how they operate now you just give judd brack another pick so it's almost like in a weird way it's still kind of worked out not really but if you want but, I mean, to you look a at twist on it. absolutely, and you look at what Johansson was picked twenty six in the draft, and you look at just the history of uh, you know guys that are hitting that deep into the first round. You've maybe got a I don't know twenty percent chance, fifteen percent chance of getting a guy who's going to be a major impact player that far into the draft. Now Minnesota has picked fifty six this year with a guy in Judd Brackett who you trust and has shown you can do a good job, or you know what, maybe it's, maybe it, it's a trade chip. Maybe you can package it up. You can move up. Uh, you know, if you want to package up 47 and 56 and potentially move into the back end of the first round, if there's a player there, you like, it just gives you flexibility. And I will say one thing about Paul Fenton. Um, you, you mentioned the Kevin Fiala thing. I remember the day that trade went down oh, yeah. and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> like, you know, cause we're sitting there and it's, you know, Fiala for Grandland straight up and we're, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of waiting. I'm like, all right, well, what's the second half of this trade? Like Minnesota is also going to get, you know, a second round pick. Minnesota is going to get a third round pick and it never came. And, you know, for the first half season, you know, it didn't look very good, but you look back on it now and, and Mikhail Granlin's a, a great guy and uh, he's a nice NHL player. Uh, Kevin Fiala has got a chance to be a, a potential superstar um, mm-hmm. we'll see if it happens in Minnesota. And unfortunately, I don't think it looks like it's going to, if, if you can kind of read the tea leaves and if you believe Bill Guerin and you take his word that he loves Matt Dumba, um, we'll see if he can find a way to make it work. If there's something surprising he's got up his sleeve here for the next couple of weeks. Unfortunately, Kevin Fiala doesn't look like that's going to come in Minnesota, but at the very least, uh, it should yield even more, uh, potential bullets here for Judd Brackett to fire come draft time. Yeah, and I mean, specifically on that trade, too, obviously it was looking, you know, whatever, the first season of that trade or whatever, it didn't look great. I mean, it really didn't look great for anybody. I mean, but this was the first year that Granlin had a fucking hell of a year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his most points in however many years. But even then, you know, at that point, like, aha, like now now the trade will look bad for me. So it's like, oh, no, if it wasn't for Kirill Kaprizov, Fiala would have set the franchise record for single season points. So it's still um you know somehow in the in the long run it does end up looking pretty good um, one of fiala you know fiala had matt boldy on his wing from the oh, start of training God. camp i fiala might have scored 100 points this year so if you can trade mikhail granlin who's a nice player for a guy who you know potentially here and he's he hasn't even reached his prime like that's the thing kevin fiala has been around so mm-hmm. long you know going back to even that year when nashville is playing in the stanley cup finals you, know, you think, oh, gosh, he's got to be approaching 30. Well, no, he's only in his mid-20s. I mean, he's been around since he was just a young kid. He's just coming into his prime. And I think if he he, he stays in Minnesota and, and carves out a niche next to Matt Boldy or he goes somewhere and really takes on a lead role somewhere else, uh, the sky's the limit for him as he he comes into his prime years. He's certainly a guy that's proven uh, if he's got the right guy next to him, he, he's got 85, 90, 95-point potential. I think. Yeah, I mean, and again, like – 
the year, you know, read the, you know, Boudreaux's last year, I guess, um, you know, that was the year that Fiala really started the pop. And they, that's when people started actually know that going into the bubble or whatever, um, that year that it got shut down, but, um, all of a sudden he just started to pop and it was like, Oh, looks like a light switch went off. And then you realize, Oh, this kid was in the playoffs a couple years ago and literally snapped his he- uh, femur clean in half. Like, Oh, that probably does take a little bit of time to, to get over. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Kevin Fiala. You know, the, it's feels like it's a mixed bag right now. It's anyone's guess. See what that, I can't, I just can't see the extension. Ha- I can't see it happening. Even if they were to trade Matt Dumba, I just, even, even then it's, you still don't really have enough space for what you want to do. I don't think so. Um, no, he's I, I agree with full you. Value. He's given him full value wise here though. And I mean, that kid is an absolute electric factory. And again, if it wasn't for Kirill Kaprizov, we'd be talking about Fiala as that guy, as the go-to guy, the game breaker on that team. Cause he was the first one, you know, in a long time at first, that first year before Kaprizov came over. But that that year, it was Fiala just took off, and he was their game breaker that they finally had. And it was like, oh, shit, like, this is – we got someone here. But well, That was that was the risk they took last summer in, in just inking him to a one-year deal when you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, some of those other long-term contracts they were able to sign guys to and locking down big parts of the future in, in Kaprizov and Erickson Eck up front specifically – and that was the risk going into it with a one-year deal is, you know, if if Kevin Fiala pops like he did, uh, you're going to get great value on that one-year deal, but you're going to put yourself in a really tough spot uh, come 22-23. And uh, unfortunately for Minnesota, it certainly looks like they're going to lose uh, a good uh, a good player in Kevin Fiala. Uh, I'm, I, I kind of go back and forth because, you know, you think if you've watched this franchise you know, as you have and as I have for – you know, me going back 22 years now since this this franchise came into being, it looked for a long time for a guy like this, right? And yeah. these 85-point guys that are 25 years old don't grow on trees. Uh, you know, the franchise record before stood for, um, what, shit, 15 years, right? Yeah. And now you got two guys on this team that could potentially challenge and push each other every year. So uh, it's painful to lose a guy like Kevin Fiala, but We'll see what Bill Guerin's able to do and what uh, kind of magic he's able to pull uh, come draft time. Maybe you're able to go out and draft a kid who can come in, you know, in a year or two. Maybe a guy like Matt Boldy takes that next next step and develops into you know, a 70, 80 point guy like Kevin Fiala did. That certainly has to be the goal, I think, if you're Bill Guerin in the wild. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I do want to get into prospects eventually here. But before we do that, I just want to get your thoughts just on the roster right now in general in the offseason that Bill Guerin and company has ahead of them it's it's legitimately to me like i find their specific situation so fascinating because it feels like they are in a little bit of a corner with the cap not just because of the dead money again i can't roll my eyes enough when people bring that up but um so many guys are set they have so many defensemen that are either locked in or apparently if they're gonna do middleton soon they'll have seven guys kaylin addison's right there he's ready to go um the goalie situation is what it is. There's not a lot of cap space, but specifically what's interesting to me is it feels like a lot of those forwards specifically, like the line combinations feel really set, which is just, just so different to me than anything else. Like you sign Jordan Greenway to that extension and it's like, we've seen this before and he's still a very young kid. Um, you know, I think we've, we're starting to see a lot of what they were hoping he would turn into, but he really only works at his best when he's playing on that line with Eric Sedek and Felina. So it's like, okay, well that line's set. 
And then you look yep. at a guy like Ryan Hartman making next to no money, pots over 30 goals this season. You're not taking him away from that situation. So it's like the roster players, a lot of guys are either locked in with term or money or you're not going to move them. Or if you do, they're not going to get you know some big return. But just it just feels like it's a weird situation where the lines are set and they have guys that are locked in and they do need to make some additions. Some guys need to go and changes need to happen. But um, I mean, what's your kind of outlook on the summer and this roster as it, as it stands right now? Well, I think you got obviously Kaprizov and Zuccarello locked in together. You, you mentioned some of these, these lines that are locked in. Um, the one, the one, I guess, uh, thing I, I would say regarding some of these contract extensions we've seen, and, and we've seen some really good numbers, uh, you know, specifically with Marcus Foligno, uh, Ryan Hartman, uh, these contracts, they're, they're, while they're getting crazy value on them, but some of the contracts that Minnesota inked during the season, this the Jordan Greenway, uh, Alex Goligoski, John Merrill, and it's nothing personal with these guys. I think they're all solid players. Uh, and I know what Bill Guerin was aiming for in terms of cost certainty and knowing exactly what he was going to have. And cost certainty, uh, mm. you know, is a big reason, uh, you know, is, is a big thing that's going to help Minnesota kind of get through these next couple of years with the, with the cap stuff. But, uh, you know, for me, uh, I, I don't think waiting on a guy like John Merrill until the end of the season, you know, would have really cost Minnesota much. I, I don't think waiting on Alex Goligoski would have cost them very much. I don't think waiting on Jordan Greenway would have cost them very much. The unfortunate part now is, you know, you're locked into those numbers. And it's not to say that you wouldn't want to get to this point and re-sign them. Maybe you would. But I think uh, there's a lot of guys on this roster that could be the left wing on the grief line. I, I think if you could go out and find yourself sort of a top-end centerman, um, you know, via trade or on the market. I think Ryan Hartman as a right wing, if you put Felino with Erickson Eck and Ryan Hartman, I think Ryan Hartman adds a whole new dimension uh, and added offense to a line while still being a line that's going to be a bear to play against. Um, but now you've got Jordan Greenway, who, again, I, I like as a solid player. Uh, there's just, there's like you said, that there's a lack of options. There's a lack of flexibility right now. And you, you lock these guys in and it's good on one hand because you know the numbers. But on the other hand, um, you know, there's just a lot of meh uh, in, yeah. in some of the middle parts of this roster. And I love the blue line. Uh, Jake Middleton, I, I love that trade. And it's kind of fun to think about. Minnesota basically gave up Devin Dubnik, Capo Cacton, and a seventh round pick uh, for, you know, the skeletal remains of Devin Dubnik, Cabo Kakinen, and a seventh-round pick for Jake Middleton, a guy who is just coming into his own and has a chance to be a top-pairing defenseman for the foreseeable future. And we saw how good he was with Jared Spurgeon. Um, you know, and you got that second pairing locked in this season, it looks like anyway. Again, if you believe Bill Guerin at his word that they're not moving Matt Dumba, uh, Dumba and Brodeen is a real solid second-pairing defenseman. And you've got Goligoski, Kulikov, Merrill, on that third pairing. And I'm, you know, eh, I, I thought Alex Goligoski was at his best, actually the higher in the lineup he played when he was being sheltered a little bit by Jared Spurgeon. Now playing third pairing minutes, getting third pairing matchups. Maybe that uh, ends up being kind of an equal trade-off here as we move into next season. Uh, I, who knows if Dmitry Kulikov's going to be back. His, his final showing in the playoffs was horrific to be quite honest. Um, you know, John Merrill was, I thought, a real solid piece. But 
some of this cost certainty, you know, you talk about Jordan Greenway and Merrill and Goligosky, that's five and a half million dollars in, you know, there's guys on the market, you could probably go out and pay two, seven, five, three and get similar production, right? For guys that you have locked up for five and a half, six million dollars. Well, that's three to four million dollars. You can go put towards something else. Another piece, uh, Kevin Fiala, potentially make that pain a little less painful. So, um, you know, kind of looking at it, I think I'm with you. I, I don't think the salary cap uh, jumble is really going to hurt this team too much because they have some of these guys locked in some of these pieces that are so they're so familiar with. Uh, there's not going to be a ton of roster turnover. It's going to look very similar to the team that had the best year in franchise history this year. Uh, but you're counting on an awful lot in terms of Ryan Hartman scoring 30 goals, Marcus Foligno putting up 20 goals, um, you know, Matt Zuccarello not showing any signs of age, Kirill Kaprizov putting up 100 points, you know, and you still have to find 80-some points from Kevin Fiala. It really is going to be interesting to see uh, how this team gets tweaked and how you fill that big giant void that's going to be sitting there next to Matt Boldy if Kevin Fiala is on his way out of town. Yeah. And it, that's exactly like, that's what drives, that was what was slowly driving me nuts throughout the years. These extensions just kept coming. And I was just sitting here like, ah, it feels like you are like almost intentionally pricing yourself out of Kevin Fiala at this point. It's like, yeah, cost certainty is great, but it's still cost, you know, like yep. it's just, I mean, we'll see what happens, I guess. But, um, you know, again, I love Jordan Greenway, but I have a heart and it's not like he's making $10 million. But you're still locking yourself in for a couple of years of three million dollars when you can really only play with a select few guys on the roster. So, I mean, and like you said, I feel like you could probably find guys. You, I mean, you literally have some right now that could eat that yep. could not going to be the big, you know, the Koivu esque reverse hits that Greenway's throwing when, when he does enter sicko mode. He is just he's an absolute force, but um, it feels well, like look, at, look at a guy like Brandon Duhame. Brandon Duhame is making $750,000. And, and Jordan Greenway, you know, if you take Jordan Greenway and his $3 million out of the lineup and you insert just right off the hop Brandon Duhame and you save yourself two and a quarter, what is the actual difference in terms of point production? Uh, you know, use whatever fancy stats you want. And that's $2.25 million you're saving right off the hop. And – you know, between Alex Goligoski and John Merrill, you're at $3.1 million for two guys. One of those guys is often going to be sitting in the press box. You could probably go out and sign any number of guys on the open market, any veteran guy on the open market on day three of free agency and get probably the same or similar type production at a fraction of the cost. Uh, Kalen Addison would be a guy that'd be making under a million dollars that you can count on in the lineup. So again, I respect the strategy of cost strategy. And it's not that these guys are making, you know, they're ridiculously overpaid. I think Alex Goligoski as a $2 million player is fine, but I don't think it works out in the wild's best interest to have all those pieces when you also have $12 million in, in dead salary cap space coming. Now, if you don't have that $12 million in salary cap space and you're talking about these pieces independently, Okay, I, I'm all about that. But when you have to, when flexibility is key, I think mm -hmm. uh, cost certainty was big last summer. I think flexibility over the next couple of years will be at a premium for Minnesota. And right now the wild just doesn't have. It. 
Right. Yeah. And exactly. That's why this year I kind of throughout the year I was in my head and how I kind of vocalized it out here was, you know, it, got, it gets to the point where, uh, I mean, we can keep harping on the uh, certainty part, but like, yeah, they're not making a lot of dollars, but at this point that flexibility feels just as if not more valuable than, you know, having a Jordan green might a reasonable number under term, whatever. Um, but well, I mean, even if you want to, if you want to talk, like, even if you take Kevin Fee out of the picture, an extra million here or 2 million here could be the difference between, and I don't know how you feel about a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, but mm-hmm. insert whatever goalie you want could be the difference between having a guy with at least the resume of a Marc-Andre Fleury and, you know, some other random backup du jour that's not going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, not going to be a three-time Stanley Cup champion. You know, that extra million or two million could make a big deal in terms of who Minnesota is able to bring in as a backup goalie, how you approach a tandem this season, uh, you know, I know Billy wants Talbot and Flurry. I think that would be ideal, but can he make it work uh, financially? And I think if you have an extra million or two laying around right now, it certainly makes that a little bit more feasible, feasible and a little more realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, uh, that's another part that I, you know, I again, become so fascinated with this lineup right now. I, tend to glaze over the goalie thing. But um, before we jump into the prospects, though, how do you feel about the goalie situation right now? A little bit of a weird ending to me. You know, Dean Evison waited too long to pull the trigger in the playoffs and throw Talbot in there. He kind of just threw him to the Wolves. At that point, it was like, I, it was mind-blowing to me how he waited until that game to make all the adjustments. Meanwhile, you see Barube, he makes the changes in game twos and three. But... Um, just going into the offseason now, obviously, Walsh, that's going to be here next season in Iowa. I, um, I've i been watching him all year and his draft year. This kid is insane. I cannot wait to watch him every day in Iowa, along with the other prospects that are coming in. Um, but the idea of Flurry and Talbot, to me, is fun and it's great. I don't know how they make it work with the money again, because again, it's, it's just what it is. Um, but how do you feel about those two going into this season if they were to make it work? If they could find a way to make it work uh, with Flurry on a two-year deal, I think that is a, that's what I would do is find a way to keep Marc-Andre Flurry around here two years for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I think he's bound to bounce back a little bit. Uh, I thought he was solid. I don't think he was the reason the Wild lost to the Blues in the playoffs. Uh, could he have played better? Absolutely. But I don't think he was the number one reason why they lost. But if you look to the future. If you're able to ink him for two years, I think the writing is on the wall in terms of Jesper Wallstead and the future of the net. Uh, him coming over to Iowa this upcoming season, getting uh, you know probably 60% of the starts down there, 60% of the playing time, and then potentially coming up to Minnesota uh, and serving or is splitting time potentially as soon as maybe two years down the road. If you can have a Flurry Talbot tandem a veteran tandem this year uh and a guy like Talbot you know say Flurry comes in and plays really well you've got a guy in Talbot who is an expiring contract who you could potentially move on and get something for at the deadline uh and that following season where where I think it's really attractive is a guy like Wallstead splitting time with Marc-Andre Fleury who is renowned around the league as one of the best teammates, one of the best goalie partners, a guy who's won three Stanley Cups, a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame one day, the first year he's eligible. 
And if you have a full year of a guy like that sitting next to your goaltender of the future in Jesper Walstead, a guy who has the game, he just needs to, you know, get some of that maturity, get some of that experience. And you have a guy like Mark Andre Fleury as his mm-hmm. sounding board every single day for a full season. I think that's invaluable to bring a young goalie into that situation. Uh, that's what I would do for that reason alone. That's why I would want to bring back Mark Andre Fleury beyond the fact that I think he's still got some game left. I think he would post better numbers under a full season next year here with his family here, you know, with, you know, not the, the specter of having, you know, a contract year playing in front of a team in Chicago that frankly just wasn't very good. Um, that alone would be reason enough for me to bring Mark Andre Fleury back. And the question at that point, like you said, can they afford to have them both? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But if gun to the head, you say, which one, if you could only have one, I would bring back Mark Andre Fleury for that second year and having mm-hmm. him around and an opportunity to work with Jesper Walstead, Tudor Walstead uh, in his first year in the NHL. I think that's a tantalizing opportunity. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's exactly how I feel as well, because I've been saying it all year, you know, Again, he was incredible in his draft year. A lot of people had this kid. Um, you know, I know somebody who had him as high as two in their rankings, just with the betting on the ceiling there. But um, the way he plays, I am guaranteed. Well, I can't guarantee because it's still a goalie, but um, how good he is, the experience that he has. He's not playing in juniors like Akosa is. He's playing against men, ex NHLers. He's playing the SHL. He's posting top five numbers as a starter in the SHL when he's not hurt. Um, and just the way he plays, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but his technique, his hockey IQ, that's what makes him incredible. And I don't think it's going to take him a whole lot of time to, you know, make his way to the NHL, especially when he's not just relying on that athletic ability and flying across the crease. He plays very similar to how a Tuka Rask plays. So, um, yeah, if if you can get him, you know, being a backup is first in the NHL and the guy in front of him is Marc-Andre Fleury, who I'm sure he's heard of him. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's uh, not a bad option. And like you said, too, this is the first time in Fleury's career, he ever switched team mid season. It's never happened yep. before. So you want to talk about creatures of habit, you know, goalies and the fact that he, you know, Mark Andre Fleury's a big family guy. It's got to be incredibly difficult for him having kids in, you know, Chicago and trying to, you know, whatever, mitigate that whole idea. But, um, yeah, no, I'm on the same page there. I would, if they could bring both of them back and you can keep Flurry around and keep him or get him some exposure with Wallstead, I think that's just going to work out in the long run um, incredibly well. So it was just not it was not an ideal situation for Mark no. Andre Flurry coming uh, here to Minnesota on a number of fronts. Obviously, you know we we talked about this is the first time in his career he's been traded midseason, but and I think Michael Russo wrote about this. He had like one or two days of practice from the time he arrived until the time the season ended. And he said during the playoffs, like, you know, being a goalie and not seeing shots on an everyday basis, whether it's in practice, you know, if you're only, only shots you're seeing are in games and at morning skate, you Mm. know, it's really easy to fall out of a routine and get rusty when that's the only action you're seeing, you're not able to work on much. You're only really looking at film, um, stuff like that. You're adjusting to a new goalie coach. You're adjusting to new defensemen, a new system in front of you. Uh, you're coming from a place where, you know, you look at the season long numbers where, I mean, Chicago's back end is terrible. They played terrible as a team last year, one of the worst teams in the league. And so 
you know, he came in, he probably wasn't very confident to begin with. And you get thrust into a situation where you, you don't have the opportunity to kind of get comfortable. He joked that he hadn't even seen Tria Rink. Uh, yeah, you know, and yeah. we're sitting there in the playoffs and we kind of laughed because we thought he was, you know, it was a play on words. And it's like, no, like, no, I, I really, I, I got, you know, walked through it for a half hour and that's it. I haven't skated there yet. And so uh, I, I think he would be a prime bounce back situation. You yeah. look at, I mean, Cam Talbot has been a real solid goalie over his career playing the all-star game, this team. And you look historically, mm-hmm. this team has had goalies that are, at or near the top of the league just because the the quality guys uh, that play in front of them. And we talked about the defensive core and, and the top four at the very least that'd be playing in front of him. He'd be just fine, I think, coming back next year. And is he going to win another Vesna trophy? I don't know about that, but he'd certainly be a guy I would expect to be in the mix for uh, to be a potential all-star next year if he comes back to Minnesota. Yeah. And I think if they don't practice more, Russo is going to blow a fucking blood vessel. Uh, I don't think I've listened to a podcast. Or I don't think he's tweeted, uh, you know, more than five minutes. I don't think he's gone more than five minutes. Be like, and they didn't practice the last half of the year. So I think he's going <laughs> to lose his fucking mind if they don't start practicing for Yeah, <laughs> Russo. The peeper, dude. Russo, all, all Russo does is bitch when we're at oh practice that we have to cover practice. And then when we don't have practice, he bitches because we don't have practice. So. You can't win with Mike. No, I'm kidding. I, Mike and I are friends. I like Mike, but uh, you know, it's, it's a tough balance. And, and, you know, looking at that schedule, just being, you know, a pigeon writer like myself, I mean, it was a grind. Some of the travel down the stretch and just another weird wonky schedule. We knew all season long, it was going to be just kind of a messed up schedule because of the Olympic break. And then with everything that happened with COVID and all the schedule adjustments that it was going to be a, a weird final month. Uh, and it was a weird final month and, it, you know, it was for us and it, it definitely was for the players. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now as we transition for the first time in what, three years, uh, transitioning kind of back into more of a normal schedule, getting the season started on time. Sucks for Mike. Uh, you know, he's covering the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. He's going to have a really short off season uh, between the, the draft and free agency and all that stuff will be we were trampled by turtles concerts for Mike coming up, but uh, it'll be good for everyone else to, to get the league back on more of a normal cadence this upcoming season, hopefully allow for more practice for guys like Mark Andre Fleury and Michael Russo. Yes. Yeah. Well, and he's also going to have not enough uh, summer for that rehab for that. Uh, whatever he's got is it the back issue. Hey, man. I... Oh, he's the softest human. Alive. At least he doesn't complain about it. At least he doesn't complain about that or anything else or his flights or at least he's just not a complainer, you know. He's just yeah, he, got the positive attitude. He texted me a little bit ago and he uh, he was name dropping. He's like, "Yeah, I'm sitting next to Mike Tarico on the plane." It's like, well, okay, so now I know you're sitting first class because yeah, there's yeah. no way Mike <laughs> Tarico's no back in the pigeon coop. There's no, no chance. No so. <laughs> So poor you in your first class seat covering the Stanley Cup finals flying out to Denver. He's probably going to spend half his day tomorrow at the dispensary. But yeah, got it. It's medical. You know, it's a medical issue. It's not the back issue. It's not recreational folks. Uh, you know, uh, what a beauty that guy is. I love Russo. <laughs> My God. Um, God, that guy. Um, well, this is a prospect podcast, so we want to switch gears a little bit here and start talking about the uh, farms. And we've already, I've already taken forty minutes of your time. This is what happens here: I start going and I don't <laughs> stop. Like even when I'm by myself, it's just I go off the rails immediately. Could but, talk hockey all night long, man. This is good stuff. 
Oh, it's just I don't know if the listeners will agree, but I'm having fun. I think they're going to love having the break from my voice. You have no idea how hard I work to like hide my bad Boston accent. Sometimes when I start going, it just comes out and people will tweet at me like, Jesus Christ, you lost your marbles this second episode. Get the marbles out of your fucking mouth. But yeah, that's you're you got to be a guy that when you get mad and you get worked up, that's when oh. the mass hole in you comes out. That's when the sewer rat comes out. I'm telling you, Dorchester, <laughs> Roxbury area. It's just like, oh, are you from there? Um, yeah, no, it, it can get dark pretty quick. Um, but anyways, little bit of a transition, but still, you know, talking about the Minnesota team. We did have some prospect news yesterday, the day before. All my days blend together. Connor Dewar re-signed the one-way contract right around 8, 850, I think it was. Um, yep. I think it was a two-year deal. Two-year one-way. I think he got one six. Yep. Um, yep. You know, a, a good deal for him. I think you can scratch mm-hmm. him off your prospect list now, right? Because I, I don't yeah. think he's a prospect anymore. I think this pretty much cements that he's going to be a part uh, of that NHL roster, and good for him. I thought uh, – I know you were a big, big fan of him down the stretch, thought he should have been playing more. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. thought that. Uh, I thought he was really good. I, I would have liked to have seen him get a little more run in the playoffs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that affects what the Wild does in terms of a guy with Nicholas Delorier who's going to be a free agent here this summer. Um, you know, if there's room for a guy like that, I know Bill Guerin loves him. Uh, but, you know, does his game translate to the postseason? We'll see. Connor Dewar, when he did get his little run in the playoffs, looked really good. And he's a guy that brings a little bit of everything to the table. But two years now, one way both uh, both years, he's a guy that is going to be in Minnesota. And a little more certainty in terms of that bottom six. Um you know, I, I like the move for Minnesota. It's a good number. It's a fair deal. It's a good deal for him. Gives him some certainty in terms of being in the National Hockey League and not having to move back and forth between the AHL and the NHL. Uh, pretty good deal all the way around, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, such a well-deserved deal. The kid's unbelievable. Like, just seeing him really take his game. He was Iowa's best player when he was there. Like, full stop. You know, we obviously Rossi and Boldy did their thing. Boldy goes up. Um, you know, Rossi was good all year, but their most important player was Connor Dewar. And, you know, it was I was really curious to see what he would look like when he did get his call up to NHL. Obviously, the first couple of games he's trying to find his way, but you know, eventually it was just like, Oh, this he is an NHL player. Because coming in the past preseason, they were talking about the two Deweys. They talked about Duham and they talked about Dewar. Both really being the two guys that were going to compete for a, for a roster spot. Obviously Duhame has a little bit more of what, um, you know, at least initially the Minnesota wild were looking for in their bottom six, a little bit more sandpaper, although Dewar, I don't think people should call him soft by any means. That kid's got a lot of sandpaper to his game and he plays hard and he's not afraid to drop the mitts too, which is always funny when him and Duhamer go at the same time. That was my favorite part of the season, by the way, uh, just felt left out. He's like, well, I guess I'll start punching people. Yeah. Um, but I just think he's such a good bottom six player. Um, and again, a young kid that, you know, I love Delorier, but there's just a ceiling to his game and what you're going to get, you know, what you're, what really translates, not even just the playoffs, but just like the game in general, like the intimidation factor is great. He is just an absolute mutant. Uh, but I mean, Connor Dewar, you can't really, you know, the one game he played, like you said, in the playoffs, it's whether you want to just go by the eyeball test, if you want to look at his underlying numbers from the one game he played in the playoffs, they are, ridiculous but um i know for me just being a guy that follows the prospects so heavily um it makes me sad that i definitely can cross him off my prospect watch list um 
but it is really cool. That's why I like watching the prospects, seeing that full cycle and seeing them hit the NHL and finally stay. And like Tim Army says, every time they go up, he says, I hope I never see you again. And I mean mm -hmm. that the nicest way possible. But um, I'm a huge Connor Dewar guy. I think he, I think there's more there. Um, obviously, he is super young. I think there's a little bit of offense in there. I think he probably could play on a third line eventually. But um, I was just really excited to see that. And good for him. The one-way deal. No more bus rides. No more soggy subs. Um you know, so that's good to see. So we'll see what that fourth line looks like next year. I would love to see him and the two Deweys together so I could keep using my Dukes of Hazard meme. Big fan of that one. Uh, but I love Connor Dewey, so good for him. But I'll uh, be interested to see what kind of opportunity, you know, presents itself uh, mm -hmm. after next season. You know, you look at uh, Freddie Gaudreau and, and the role he's sort of carved out, um, you know, playing this season between Kevin Fiala and, and Matt Boldy and, um you know, the offense that he was able to, to really tap into that he, we hadn't seen at the NHL level before. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Freddie Gaudreau is probably going to price himself out of Minnesota, would be my guess, if he puts together another campaign uh, similar to the one he did last year. And there's no reason to believe he's not going to be given that opportunity playing for Dean Evason. Could you see a guy like Connor Dewar move up and, and play maybe a little more and, and insert himself into a, a role next to Matt Boldy? We saw that offensive potential. Uh, when he's playing top line minutes down in Iowa. Uh, I think Brandon Duhame is, is his place in the lineup is more in ink. He's going to be mm -hmm. really kind of a fourth line guy. Uh, and that's okay. A guy who can occasionally maybe slot up if, in a, in a pinch if you need him to, but I think there's some offensive potential in Dewar's game where uh, he can move up in the lineup a little bit and he could uh, see maybe a bigger role maybe two years down the line if Freddie Gaudreau ends up pricing himself out of a, a wild uniform. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, as you said, it seems like Freddie Gaudreau's spot is pretty much cemented too with playing for Dean Evison. But I would love to see Tyson Jones just get a look there to do like get a little bit of an offensive role for the kid the way he's we saw him at North Dakota. We saw how he was using Colorado. So we'll see what happens next year. Um if Tyson Jones gets a look up there, I think that could be really good. But um, I'd love to see the, uh, him. I'm with you. I want to see Tyson Jost. Yeah. In a, you know, if Kevin Fiala is out of town, uh, I wouldn't mind a line to open training camp of Matt Boldy, Freddie Gaudreau, and Tyson Jost. Mm. And and just tell Tyson Jost, look, you're going to play a Kevin Fiala-type role for us. We need you to tap into that offensive ability that he'd shown at the University of North Dakota and everywhere he had played before that going back to junior high. Uh, mm -hmm. it's in there and we saw it in in little drips and drabs last year when he got to play in place of Matt Boldy when he was hurt um it's there it's still there and so you know you're talking about a guy who you need to fill an 85 point void potentially you know I don't think you can count on any one guy to do it. it's going to have to be a bunch of guys but I think Tyson Jost has the ability especially if you take some of those defensive responsibilities away from him and allow him to really focus on some of that natural offensive ability he has, he can take a big chunk of that 85 points. Uh, you know, if he can find a way to maybe get half of that, that'd be a big, mm -hmm. big ad uh, moving him up in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm with you there for sure. Um, so really, and again, 46 minutes, uh, we're getting to the prospect finally. Um, but just kind of your over. I'm not sure how often you get to, you know, enjoy prospects or if you, um, how many Iowa games you get to tune into. But um, I personally, I've kind of drifted towards the prospects more so than watching the NHL games. I just think 
so much more fun. But, um, you know, what's your kind of sense of the Minnesota Wild Prospect Pool, just prospects in general? Um, you know, is there one league or, um, you know, do you get to watch as much junior hockey and college hockey as you'd like? Obviously, you're a Mankato guy. Um, but, you know, what is your kind of kind of sense with the prospect game? I follow college hockey pretty religiously. You mentioned my allegiance to Minnesota State. There it is. There it is. Maverick Pride in there. Um, But, you know, beyond Minnesota State, I I follow a lot of college hockey, specifically here uh, in in the western half of the country. Um, But, you know, I I didn't get to watch – didn't get to get to any Iowa games this year for the first time uh, in a couple of years – and really since the pandemic, haven't been able to watch as much Iowa as I did before the pandemic. Uh, heck, a couple of years ago when I was running to the second round of the playoffs, I was at every game sitting next to Joe O'Donnell calling games. And I got a, a chance to really see uh, some of these prospects up close. Had a blast. I love it. Um, you know, and just you know, looking at Minnesota's prospect pool, obviously the strength is going to be on the back end. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting, I think, the next couple of years because um, just the defensive depth overall, I think Minnesota has it everywhere on that back end. You've got high-end guys uh, you know, in Lambos and Addison who have a chance, I think, to be top four defensemen in the National Hockey League. You've got a guy in Ryan O'Rourke who I'm really high on. I, I think he's, I think he's going to be a really solid uh, defensive defenseman you know, we spend so much time, I think, looking at goals and assists and points and plus minus, even with guys on the back end. And it's, it's not to say that's not important, but there's something to be said for a guy who's just going to be 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds, beat the snot out of you in front of the net. Mean. Guy who might only score, you know, 10 points, 15 points, but a guy who's going to kill penalties, he'll drop the mitts, he'll clear the front of the net. And that's Ryan O'Rourke. And you could see it a couple of years ago in Iowa as a teenager. I thought Crazy. he just got better and better and better Crazy. as the year went on. And then you saw that how that experience translated for him, being able to play mm-hmm. a full season in the American Hockey League against men. And then him going back to the OHL this year and being a captain with the Sioux Greyhounds was one of the best defensemen in that league. I'm really excited about his future. I think that year – uh, I know he was stung by that year because he was really looking forward to being a captain a couple of years ago with yeah. Sue, uh, but it's invaluable. I think we're going to look back on this in a couple of years. It's going to be the best thing that could have happened to his development. And I know in talking to Brad Bombardier at the time, that really could have gone one of two ways. It could have been yeah. really devastating to his development or it was really going to benefit. And I think now a year after the fact, seeing how he was able to really – take that experience and turn it into a positive thing. I love Ryan O'Rourke in the future. He, he brings, um, you know, Damon Hunt looks like he's going to be a potential player for this team. Uh, I've, I haven't gotten to watch as much BC as I'd like, uh, but I see highlights of Marshall Warren. He looks like a guy who over time, I think could uh, contribute to this level. You know, we saw Minnesota sign uh, the other Johansson, Simon Johansson, a uh, guy who's, who, comes out of Sweden has a little bit more of that offensive flair. Um, so you, you know, we haven't gotten into, into Jack Peart yet, who, yeah. you know, had a great first year at St. Cloud, a guy who was awesome at Grand Rapids high school. And I can tell you this, when Minnesota was drafting, you know, in the first round last year, when they move up and they get Walsh said that was a no brainer. They had uh, Jesper Walsh as a top mm-hmm. 10 player on their board going into that draft. I think he was number nine 
on their overall board going into that draft. Jack Peart was 24th on their board. And, you know, you come out and it's real easy to hear these guys after the draft. They come out and they say, oh, yeah, our draft went great. We got all the guys we wanted. Having that experience and being in there before the draft went down, I knew they loved Jack Peart. And you could just see Judd Brackett just salivating as the second round was going. And Peart kept sliding down the board, sliding down the board. They think he is a big-time future. So just depth everywhere on that blue line. And that's going to be really interesting to, to see how this all shakes out because you got Jared Spurgeon locked up for, mm-hmm. what, four more years? Five more years? You got Jonas Brodeen locked up for five more years. You're going to have Jake Middleton locked up for – you know, potentially four or five more years. Uh, we'll see how that works out. And you've got all these other guys that are now two or three years away, you know, two, three years down the road. Where is everyone going to slot in? They have more guys than they have spots right now. So more potential chips. We'll see how that affects things. But I'm really excited to see some of these defensemen now, especially as they transition out of junior hockey. Jack Peart's going to be in college hockey for a couple more years, I think. But as he makes that transition into the pro game, into the AHL, uh, into the, the, you know, the Iowa, the Minnesota system, getting coached by professional coaches to see these guys continue to develop uh, is going to be a lot of fun. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to here over the next couple of years. Oh yeah. And uh, just, I am a massive O'Rourke guy, like massive O'Rourke guy. Great kid too. Oh my God. Yeah. That, yeah. God. Um, Captain, I mean, you know that that's yeah, like, yeah. that's valuable stuff. I mean, that and that's, I mean, should alpha be on that team. They yep. had a bunch of kid that team. So just watching them, and I've watched almost all of his games this season. Um, they have a team full of alphas, but he reigns every game, and he kind of got into some bad habits at the end of the year of just like completely losing his marbles. It felt like his wick really just gradually grew shorter and shorter. Where he's like, there was one game he took three minor penalties in the first period. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, calm down. Get suspended twice this season. He's bad sleuth, but I couldn't believe they only gave him a game. But um, I mean, when he like just matures a little bit and he can just kind of continue growing his game, the base is just so good and the tools are there. We talk about how he's like, he's gonna be a defensive guy, obviously, but the skating's good. And the one thing that he does really well that Minnesota will love, and I mean any NHL team would love, is yes, like you said, he's got the size, he's got pretty good hands, but he can transition the puck too. And that's kind of, if you look at their draft patterns right now as a defenseman, almost every single guy, the first thing that they do is they move the puck up the ice. And you talk about like a guy like Jones Brodeen, he can carry it. He can whatever pass it. Spurgeon does everything. Um, but a guy like Ryan O'Rourke, yeah, he's going to be a defensive guy. But, um, you know, there's value offensively in terms of facilitating offense and just getting the puck where it needs to be and just making life for forwards so much easier because you're getting the tape to tape pass. You don't need to go get the puck behind your own net, but I am a huge Ryan O'Rourke guy. And I cannot emphasize to people enough how hard it must have been or how hard it should have been for Ryan O'Rourke to come in and play in the AHL as a 18 or 19 year old. And day one was a like stud. Like it was, I was shocked. I could not believe what I was watching, just how seamless. Um, And like you said, he carried it right back in the junior. So I share the affinity for Ryan O'Rourke. I think he's going to be he's going to be a quiet player. Maybe teams, you know, fans of other teams outside Minnesota won't really know a whole lot about him. But he's a guy that's going to quietly put up a 15-year career in the NHL. You know who he reminds me of? I think you've Jake, told me this before. Jake Jake Middleton. He reminds yeah. me a little bit of Jake Middleton. 
And a guy who is just, you know, you look at the stats and you're like, you know, what makes this guy so special? But then you put on the tape, and specifically this year with San Jose, but when he got to Minnesota and playing with Jared Spurgeon, mm-hmm. this guy's a really, really good player who has come into his own now. And, and you know, it happens at different ages for guys. Maybe, you know, for Ryan O'Rourke, it happens as a 22 or 23-year-old. For Jake Middleton, it happened as a 26-year-old. But just a physical, strong, beefy presence. There's a place I have all kinds of time for those guys. And mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. I, I Ryan O'Rourke's going to be a player and he's going to be in the national hockey league. I think um, sooner rather than later. I really do. I think he has a game built for the national hockey league and on his short fuse, you know what? I think part of that too comes with being the big fish in a small yep. pond. And when you yep. spend an entire year in the AHL and I know he was looking forward to going back to the Sioux and being a captain, but by the end of that year, the writing's on the wall, man, right? Like, I mean, he knows, like, what else do I really have left to accomplish here from a developmental standpoint? Like, 100%. at that point, he's got to be just scratching and clawing and eager to, to get the hell out of there and start his professional career. And so I think that that maturity will come. He'll get an opportunity potentially to play big minutes. I think when you just look at, uh, you know, the depth chart down in Iowa, uh, you know, depending, they're going to have to sign some guys, especially now. Um, you know, with uh, with Churchman leaving, um, you know, they have some free agents and, and stuff like that. They got Mermis and guys like that coming back, but they're gonna they're gonna have some spots here for some guys coming in this year. And I think Aurora could step in and and immediately carve out a nice role down there. I'm excited to see that back end. They're gonna have, you know, Aurora. They're gonna have Damon Hunt. They're gonna have Simon Johansson in net. They're gonna have Wallstead up front. You're gonna have, I think, Josh Pillar. He might be able to go back and play the, the overage because they drafted this season. He might be able to go back to junior for one more year. He's 20 now, so maybe not. Uh, I never know the rules, but Pavel Novak. We'll see if Alexander Hovodov can stay in shape. He just refuses to, apparently, and it's literally the only thing keeping him from like playing. Yeah, just can't skate it's, it's, it's so <laughs> frustrating, isn't it? Because he's got all the talent and ability in the world, and it was, it was the same thing with. Uh, gosh, now I'm I'm completely oh, blanking yeah. on his name. On, uh, uh, fucking A, it's another fucking Russian guy. Uh, the Russian guy. Um, Guy scored 50, nuts. scored 50 goals in, in the OHL and just could never figure it out from a maturity and a, and a diet standpoint, a professional standpoint. But you just watch him and he'd get the puck in the slot and he would just go bar Mexi on these goalies and he'd just be like, wow. And, you know, every other aspect of his game was lacking, including his fitness. Uh, and I'm not one to talk about great fitness, but – um, I'm also not a professional hockey player. So hopefully yeah, a guy yeah. like Ovenov, you know, continues to, I, I can guarantee you that was what they harped on him going into his exit meetings. Um, still young enough where a guy can mature and figure it out, but the clock's ticking. And uh, he's a guy that if he comes in next year and does things right, he could carve out one of those top six roles in Iowa and potentially put himself on the map to be kind of a call-up guy next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think the time is uh, quickly coming up on Hovanov. And unfortunately, apparently that was the only thing that was talked about in the exit meeting. And then I guess the next day, Tim Arby saw it. He just got a big fucking milkshake just walking around. It's like, he's a fucking crazy Hovie. Like, come on, bro. Like, you thought the talent is insane. But, um, but yeah. So, I, oh, my God, we're at an hour. That's insane. Um, I do want to get 
a little bit more out of you because you had mentioned it earlier. You and I think a lot of people would be very interested to hear about your experience being a part or being there for the Minnesota Wild with the draft, being in the war room there. Um, I mean, I'll leave the uh, floor open to you. What was that like? Take us in there because I would die to be a fly on the wall for one of Jed Brackett's war rooms for the draft. It was the single most fascinating um, experiences of my career uh, from a professional standpoint. And I'll, I'll go even beyond that. I was in the, uh, I was in the room last year on the first day of free agency. And, you know, I got to give Bill Guerin uh, all kinds of credit. I'd made that request uh, years past and had been denied and, you know, I totally get it. I, I totally respect that. It's all about a comfort level for folks. But Bill Guerin and and you see it, you know, not only with you know, the opportunity I had to be behind the scenes, but you see it now with some of the shows, uh, you know, that that my former yeah. cohorts were doing, um, you know, the Beyond Our Ice is, is just fantastic. And, and the access is so much better mm-hmm. now. And it makes it so much more interesting, I think, for fans and viewers alike. But the opportunity, you know, as someone like myself, who is just a complete nerd and, you know, grew up playing NHL video games and going in GM mode. And I could give oh, yeah. two shit about playing the actual game. I'm more interested in, right. you know, making trades and signing guys and, and, and simulating the game. Sim game, sim game, sim game. Yeah, yeah. Sim yeah, season, like, I don't care. That is the fun part for me is just making all the moves. And so to yeah. be able to go in there and see how these guys – you know, all the work that they put in and all the input, you know, we're in the big conference room at, at wild headquarters and every seat in there is taken with scouts and development guys and GMs and assistant GMs and senior advisors and Bill and Judd are just kind of sitting there and they're taking all this information in and then compiling it on lists and having to make final decisions. It was fascinating. And then to see, you know, to be in there a few days before the draft and to to look at the list and have an idea of, all right, here's the guys they like. And then having that knowledge and being able to sit in the war room on draft night and watching the plan kind of come together, because obviously you don't know what teams are going to do, where, you know, mm-hmm. who they're going to pick, what trades are going to be made, how it's going to look when it gets to you at pick 22 and 25. And, you know, as you get to, 15, 16, 17, and Casa goes off the board to Detroit and Wallstead kind of keeps ticking down. And I just remember specifically on that night, you know, as, as Wallstead's getting to, you know, 17, 18 and like, you know, Judd, Judd's like, you know, he's kind of fidgeting, sitting up in his seat and he's, you know, moving around and you look at who was drafting at 20 and 21, he's probably not going to get to Minnesota. So then you know, the wild had that extra third round pick. So he's like, Hey, I'm going to make this call and we're going to call Kenny Holland and see if we can move up. And, you know, if we want to get this goalie, would you want to draft him at 20? And Judd's just like, uh, yeah. You know, like his eyes just got huge. And so to watch, you know, watch the trade call happen, that trade came together in two minutes. Yeah. Uh, Billy. And it was, it was exactly how I, you know, you know, I, I didn't know how the, the, those trades went down. You know, you can kind of envision it in your head, and, but it's literally like he calls him up. He goes, hey, I got, you know, this third round pick for 20 if you want to move back a couple. And you could hear in the background, he goes, all right, well, let me talk to my people. And all right, call me back. Well, 60 seconds later, the phone rings. All right, we'll do it. And it was done. 
And it was just it, just watching kind of the process of it all go down. And they move up and they take a guy in Wall Street who I, I told you before they had ranked in their top 10 at 20. And a guy who certainly yeah. looks now like he's going to be the future of the franchise and goal. Um, you know, it was really, really fascinating experience. I, I wish, um, you know, I was, I think if I were still with the team, it was an opportunity I was going to get to do again this year, just because, um, like I said, Billy's so good about giving us, yeah. uh, us pigeon workers, some access and it was so much fun. I can't underscore enough how cool of an experience that was to be in there on that, to be there on first day of free agency, to watch how all that went down, to look at, you know, this guy's off the board. All right. That changes our, our war room and our whiteboard. They literally have names written on a whiteboard yep. ranked by position. Uh, you know, okay. We got to erase that guy that moves this guy up. Uh, you know, I'll call this guy's agent. It, it was fascinating. And I wish, you know, I, I hope someday a guy like you, uh, you know, wherever it is you want to go in your career, um, you know, if you're able to ever get access like that, even if it's not the NHL level, if it's if it's at a junior hockey level, but to just go watch a team of yeah. professionals oh, work yeah. a war room and work a room like that, it is fascinating for the nerdy ten-year-old uh, kid in you. Oh, like yeah, you're telling me, and I mean, you you mentioned it before too. The way Bill Guerin operates, it's I love when you know after the draft they go to Bill Arts. What you say that? He's like, ask John. I don't know. He's just like, and I just I think it's so. <laughs> important for some gms to know their strengths and know yep. hey i have another guy who it's not necessarily a weakness of mine but this guy's unbelievably the best and i think the relationship he has with judd and really all of his scouts and the trust that he puts in those guys i think it's so important and conducive to a successful organization so um i mean what are those two like in the room and i'll, I'll let you out here because we've been going for an hour and five minutes well, they have a, you know, a great vibe because I think Bill and what, what I think makes Bill so successful and what is going to make him successful for the long run is he hires people to do a job mm -hmm. and then he trusts them to execute that job. And when Judd Brackett became available and then he got hired, Bill was very upfront and he said, look, this guy's really good at an area of running a team where I'm not very good. And, you know, Bill Guerin had a long career as a player, but he, you know, he, he kind of transitioned right into his front office role and he, he wasn't a scout. And mm -hmm. so that wasn't his strength and he knows it. And I think the telltale sign of someone who's really good at their job is someone who is comfortable enough in their own skin to go out and hire people to do a job and then trust them to do that job. Uh, not every guy is secure enough to go out and hire a guy like Ray Shiro uh, with his resume and his history running teams to be a lieutenant, uh, knowing mm -hmm. that if you do a bad job and the team sucks and the owner comes in and fires you, your replacement is sitting right next door um, or a potential replacement is sitting right next door. And so you just look at, at who Bill Guerin has surrounded himself from Ray Shiro uh, to Chris O'Hearn, you know, Mike Murray, Randy Sexton, Matt Sells, these guys who are really good at what they do. Um, and then you go out and you add a piece like Judd Brackett, who's arguably maybe the best amateur, uh, amateur scout, amateur uh, honcho and call it whatever you want uh, out there. You go out and you, you pursue a guy, you pay him what he needs to be paid, and you bring him in and you make your team better. 
And then you just trust him to that job. And that's what Bill does. He, he says, I, I can go out and I can get you this pick. I can go get you, um, you know, this leverage and you can use that leverage and that pick how you want. And I have your back a hundred percent. And I, I can't say enough good things about Bill Guerin. He's, he's like that with Judd Brackett. He's like that with the guys on his staff. And he's like that even with, you know, he was like that with a guy like me in granting me access to a room that he didn't have to grant me that access. He didn't give me, um, you know, he didn't say, Hey, send me what you're going to write. Cause I want to make sure mm -hmm. that it's, he just said, you know, this is going to be an opportunity for you. I'm going to give you this access. You know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, you know what I would approve and what I wouldn't approve. Just do your job the best you can. And it's all good. And um, he's like that in everything he does. And I think that's why, uh, the vibe around the wild is different. Yeah. And I think that's why he's going to be successful for however long he chooses to stick around here in Minnesota. Absolutely. I'm a massive, I love Billy G mass, mass guy, good guy. Um, <laughs> and I can tell you, uh, with, with Shiro, he's also out here. All these fuckers are out here. Uh, Judd Brackett's out here. Well, Judd Brackett's literally on the road for 200 nights a year. Like actually yep. he just got his like double trip, no quadruple fucking miles thing or uh share it in whatever hotel he stays at. Uh, it's like 10,000 nights. That's insane. But uh, that's insane. Uh, yeah. I was at a BC game. I got the credentials. So I'm hanging out and I looked down and Hendrix walks in. I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. The BC guys. And then Shiro walks in. And I don't even know who the third guy was with them. It wasn't anyone with the wild, but they were supposedly scouting Hendricks. It's his first year on the job. So he has a notebook. I watched him write about 27 pages of notes. McBain scores a hat trick. See ya. doesn't matter. Um, I don't think Shiro looked at the ice. He was just, it. I was, he's just chirping with this other guy back and forth. He's like, at one point was facing the other way with his legs up and just like talking shop with all the scouts hanging out. But he's just such a good dude. Um, yeah. But, I mean, they've got that organization right now. Like you said, the vibe. Maybe Billy G's a huge culture guy. He talks about it all the time. But, um, you know, with guys like – That's important. It's, the, I mean, the, culture, like, the culture – like, I can't tell you the difference mm -hmm. in – you want to talk about what I've seen from when I started to where it is now uh, two weeks after, you know, no longer being with the team. But the difference in just the vibe around the room is night and day. And – it's no coincidence that the most, you know, welcoming, the most open, the friendliest, the closest locker room uh, that I've ever been in and been around uh, delivered the kind of results this year that it did. I, I don't know. I know Minnesota, if you look back at the preseason predictions, were I think a lot of people saw them as kind of a fringe playoff team. I know I saw them kind of in that wild card mix, you know, if you got me at an honest moment before the season last year. I didn't see a franchise record breaking season. And I think that's why there's so much belief uh, starting with Bill Guerin, but with fans as well, that, you know, good things are on the horizon. A big part of that is the vibe in the room. And just the fact that there aren't any shitheads on this team right now. Like I can honestly tell you, there are no shitheads in that locker room. Every guy in that room to a man, and we can go down the roster is, genuinely a good dude and it it's a big deal it is a big deal i know it's cliche but it's a big deal and it's a big reason why the wild is having success right now 
Yeah, I mean, you heard Middleton talk about it. You heard Delorier talk about it like two days. Like, uh, Middleton was saying he was calling his parents every like 48 hours. Like, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life playing hockey. He's like, it's the coolest group of dudes of all time. Like, this place rocks. Like, whatever. Delorier said the same exact thing. He's like, this is amazing. Flurry. I mean, again, you got him to come over for the first time in his career midseason. And he's very happy here. Um, so, I mean, it's just, like you said, the culture is so important. You want to be able to have a group of guys that want to go to work every day and care about, you know, the guys that they're playing with. So, I mean, like you said, you, you can't underscore that enough, like how important that is for a team like Minnesota. Um, and, I mean, the proof in the pudding, like it's – it feels when like – you say, been- And you say this is a prospect podcast, you know what? How important is it to bring those prospects mm-hmm. as they come up? into that atmosphere like that. That's how they learn how to be NHLers. Those are the guys they're around. That's the environment they develop in now as professionals. And to have them be in a locker room like that, surrounded by veterans who take care of each other and care about each other, it just makes everything better. It snowballs. That works its way and filters its way down to the AHL, filters its way down to the ECHL. Uh, Now that we're getting back into more some of these traditional kind of prospect camps, development camps, like these guys are going to take this back to wherever it is they go and take that back to their own locker rooms. And it's, it all starts at the top and it's a long-term thing. It's something that was going to take Bill Guerin probably five years to completely change. And now we're seeing after three years, kind of Mm -hmm. the fruits of that labor start and it's only going to get better and better. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have time for one more. Yeah, I got time. I got all kinds of time for you. It's your birthday. All right, cool. We got yeah. Well, I got a I got a bunch of beers left, so perfect. Uh, <laughs> so draft coming up. I'm a big draft guy. I didn't get to spend as much time this year, but I still have a pretty good, you know, sense of you know what this draft looks like. Um, I don't know if you have specific guys that you're looking at and saying if they could add that guy, that would be great, or if there's more of a you know a profile of a type of player. Who would you like to see? Uh, Judd Brackett take a swing at because I've heard just talking to some people behind the scenes that with Minnesota their approach right now is they're down to take big home run swings in this draft because of how deep their pool is right now so what that says to me is they're going for the ceiling which I love um, but is there a type of pro or a profile or a big position I don't know you have any guys that you have your eyes on you just took the words out of my mouth Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about where I think the strength in this system lies and that's on the back end and, you know, up front, you know, the best forward prospect they have is Marco Rossi, who like Connor Dewar, isn't probably going to be a prospect for much longer. He's going to graduate to the NHL most likely at some Next point season. this season, Matt Boldy has already reached that point and you look beyond that and, you know, you have who's Nadinov coming down the line, but you can't really count on when he's going to arrive. Just, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't know. Um, and, and, you know, being kind of undersized the way he is, he looks good right now. We don't know what that's going to look like. Adam Beckman's a guy, uh, you know, at the forward position who looks the part or he has looked the part so far, but we just don't know. But beyond that, I don't know how much high-end, high-caliber talent uh, the Wild has yeah. coming down the line. You've talked about Pavel Novak. We think he's going to be a solid player. Uh, you know, Fierstoff, Bankier. I love Nikita Nestorenko. A little bit of him I've seen, but Silky. he's many he's many years away yet. Yeah. Pilar, uh, you know, Sam Hentges is a guy who I, I think has a potential to carve out a role in the National Hockey yep. League, but is he going to be a high-end top six guy? 
Probably not. Uh, more of a middle six guy, bottom six guy. I think uh, I have time for him for sure, but I don't know if he's going to be a high end guy. So I'm all about taking home run swings and doing it specifically at the forward position. I think if you can add, uh, you know, if you look at, I think we talked about what, four picks in the first 89, uh, you know, five picks in the, in the first four rounds this year, before we even see any potential trades that could bring in another first round pick or a second round pick. Uh, if you can get one or two more big home run swings uh, into the pipeline here that can make their way through the next three or four years, I think that'd be good. Another position where I would uh, maybe look for Minnesota to go would be in goal. And we talk about mm-hmm. Jesper Wallstead, and I think he's the future certainly is the number one guy, but there isn't a whole lot behind him yeah. right now. Uh, Cam Talbot, uh, one year left on his deal, uh, assuming he's going to be back, you know, wherever you land on, on a backup, whether it's flower or somewhere else, uh, Jesper Wallstead's the future number one. Hunter Jones is not a Bill Guerin draftee. He was, he was selected by Paul Fenton. So there's no necessarily loyalty there. Awesome. He's got one year left. He's not shown uh, to be very good. Yet, I think there's there's talent there. He was a second-round pick. There's talent. He has yet to put it together. Um, you know, and even beyond that, you know, like Zane McIntyre is a free agent. He's not a guy, even if you brought him back. By the way, an awesome guy. I don't know if you uh, – I love it, dude. Is, I, I, I would love to long. see him I be back. I need him in the NHL again. I need to see him. He's such a good dude. He's been through so much. Like, yep. Come in, he came in from Boston. So, like, I've watched him forever. I was so happy when they made that trade and he was unbelievable for them this year. And like, I'd love to I mean, see him I would love to see him the the NHL again. guy. I'd love to see him. As I think the they're veteran guy back. with Wallstead in Iowa. I think he's the yeah. ideal veteran 100%. guy uh, to split time. Cause he can play, but he's also mm-hmm. just a great dude. He's played in the NHL so he can give him that kind of sounding board. Uh, I was a Minnesota guy, uh, went to North Dakota. I will let him slide on that, but he's a, a thief river falls boy who you know grew up a wild fan and wrote a really fun story on him during the playoffs when he was serving as the number three um but i mean beyond walston you want to talk about the future there really isn't another guy that you can look at and say all right he can come in here and he can make a difference i think that was one of the reasons why they were a little disappointed that philip Lindbergh got away is because he was a guy that you know was another prospect that had shown was developing at the college level uh, had shown that maybe he could be a guy who could come in and push, uh, you know, push for time either at the AHL or the NHL one day level. They don't really have that guy right now. And they've, they've got all their eggs in the Wallstead basket and that's fine. He looks like he's going to be a really good player, but just in case it would be nice to see Minnesota add a little bit more depth to the prospect pool. doesn't have to be a guy that's going to be arriving anytime soon. Maybe it's a guy that you can stash uh, in college for three or four years, let him develop. Uh, but someone that can potentially come in and either push Jesper Wallstead or serve as an NHL backup one day down the road. So home run swings at forward. I love it. Uh, and add a little bit of depth uh, in goal. I think if Minnesota can accomplish that here in a couple of weeks at the draft, they have the the bullets in the chamber to do it right now with, again, four picks in the first 89, five picks in the first four rounds. If they can accomplish that and check that off the list, it's going to be a very, very good weekend for Judd Brackett and Bill Guerin. And I think I said this last week, someone asked me, uh, depending on that Fiala package, because again, I'm like not even entertaining the thought that he's going to be back. So I just can't possibly 
make it work in my head, even though I would love it. Um, you know, if they don't get that pick that they want, I would be maybe not surprised if they didn't do it, but I would Minnesota for me is a team that looks at this draft. And if there's an opportunity to move up, we already see that we saw them do it last year. Um, I can, I would bet on Judd Brackett looking for an opportunity, you know, with that second round, he has two second round picks now. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see him uh, try to move up if there's a guy that's going to slip. And I'm telling you, I think there are several guys who are going to slip and that we'll look back on a couple of years and be like, how the fuck did that kid go to 20? Um, well, it's to, just the pandemic and, and how these guys scout all yeah. this stuff is is so crazy. It's it's going to be really interesting to see three, four years down the line how all these, you know, the, the 2020, 2021 year where guys just missed a whole year of development and these guys were unable to be scouted. Some of these guys that were picked last year and are going to be picked this year, how they fell through the cracks, it's going to be a really mm -hmm. fun story to write one day. And that's why I think if you're Bill Guerin and you have a guy like Judd Brackett, a guy you trust, a guy who's really good at his job, this is where Judd Brackett makes his money. Oh, yeah. Is in situations like this. And he couldn't have forecasted this with the pandemic coming. But this is where when you have a guy like that who's just – you know, nose to the grindstone, has connections everywhere, has a history of finding guys in all rounds of the draft. This is where he's really going to pay big dividends. And I, another thing, too, if you can trade Kevin Piala as part of a package to get more picks next year, if it's yep. a team like New Jersey, oh God, um, if, I would love to take a chance. If, you, if you're not going to pry the number two pick away from the New Jersey Devils, which – you know, chances are you're not, especially with the marketplace and, and the high level talent guys that are available right now um, out there on the market beyond Kevin Fiala. If I would not be opposed to telling New Jersey, all right, we're going to take some, you know, maybe a prospect or a or NHL roster guy here and we'll just take your unprotected first round pick next year. And you take yep. that chance that you may be able to get a high end pick next year in what is a loaded 2023 oh draft and you know heck even if you end up with the 12th pick or the 14th pick yeah, next year yep. that would be like getting a top five pick this year literally so yep. i i think you know if, if that's a route you wanted to take and tell new jersey all right you're not going to give us two that's fine we're going to want maybe a little better prospect but we'll we'll take a pick next year i wouldn't be surprised if that was a route they took as well i think that would probably depending on what picks they're looking at um and how confident they are that i mean i don't even care anywhere in the first round next year that draft is insane like i yep. mean insane like we're talking maybe not oh three level because that's just i don't think anyone's ever going to touch that draft again but i mean just the star studded top of that draft and i mean there are guys that'll go 15 through 20 that like you said they would be 100 percent top five top six picks in 2022 so I mean, if you can just keep building there too, if you can get more 2023 picks, whether it's in the first round or even the second round, you're getting a kid that probably would have gone, you know, whatever top, top half of the first round this year. So I am all aboard the 2023 train for sure. Um, yeah, if you can move some of those late round picks this year. Oh yeah, if you can if you can trade a, a six this year if a team falls in love with a guy in, in the fifth or sixth round for, you know, a fourth or fifth round pick next year. Mm -hmm. By all means, do it. And Minnesota's put itself in a position where they have a strong prospect system. They don't have to fill a bunch of gaps right now. You can defer a year 
like you say, and, and just get as many chips as you can in 2023. That's kind of the, the stinging part about losing that third rounder in the, in the deal for Delorier. Uh, you'd love to be able to potentially find a way back into to getting a third round pick next year. Uh, but Hey, if you can get as many tickets as you can. You'd think New Jersey next year, even with a Kevin Fiala in a loaded Eastern conference, it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. If you can find a lottery ticket yep. in that draft, I'm all for it. Oh, big time, big time. I do have one listener question that I was going to ask you because it just fits last sure one. And then I'll let you go. You've given me an hour and a half of your time, which is just, I don't know anyone brave enough to do that. So this is from Max Sack. This is kind of different, kind of along the same train of thought here. Do you think Rossi's on that opening night roster? If so, what does that top six look like with him? And what's the point range that you would reasonably expect a kid like Marco Rossi, depending where he slots in the lineup, if he makes that team? That's an interesting question. I think he will. For me, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I want them one game. Just want, just give me like five minutes of ice time with Jost Rossi Poldy. <laughs> I, I think he will be on the opening night roster. It's, it's hard to say because we don't know what uh, they're going to accomplish in terms of, you know, potential trades. Uh, you know, I wouldn't expect the wild to be overly active in free agency. Again, we don't know if, if Bill Guerin has stuff up his sleeve to clear out a bunch of room. Um, you know, I personally, and this is a pipe dream. I'd love to, to find a way to clear out enough space to go out and make a run at a guy like Nazem Kadri. I think he's exactly what this team needs. Um you know, that's a pipe dream though. You're talking about trading Fiala and Dumba yeah, and Dumba. Kulikov. And I just, I don't, I don't see that being feasible um, and probably, you know, really trading uh, a bunch of pieces to go sign a 31 year old center is probably not a move that Bill Guerin's looking to make at this point. That's just a personal thing for me. Um, without knowing what moves are going to be made, I'll say, yes, he will be on the opening right night roster. I'm not sure how eager they're going to be to put him in position to be in a top six role right away. I don't see how a kid that talented though is going to be kept out of that for long. It is going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic with Freddie Goudreau, because we know how much Dean Evison loves him. And I think Freddie Goudreau is going to be next to Matt Boldy. I think Ryan Hartman's going to start the year with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. We talked about, you know, the grief line and Erickson X. So, I mean, something's got to give, somewhere in there. Um, I think Rossi finds his way onto the opening night lineup. Maybe he starts the year between Goudreau and Boldy. That's what I'll, I'll say. I'll take that guess right now. Goudreau moves to wing uh, and has, you know, eats up a lot of that defensive responsibility with uh, Rossi in the middle and Matt Boldy on the left wing. But hey, yeah, I love that though. little flexibility for once. That'd be nice. For sure, I would love to see them try try new things, Dino. It's okay. It won't hurt you. Um, but, Dan, you know how I feel about you. I really appreciate you giving me so much of your time. It looks like our internet's just going to stop cooperating. So uh, thank you so much for being the first ever guest of Judd's Buds. You know you have the open invite. Um, and I said this to you before. Whoever scoops you up, they will have won free agency. Uh, and thanks again for hopping on with me. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime you want, uh, anytime you want to talk hockey, I'm here for you. You got a lot of fans inside the Wild organization. That much I know. I know there's some people that aren't big fans of you, but you do have fans, uh, people that enjoy your work. Mm -hmm. You do a hell of a job, and 
we'll uh, we'll talk later this summer maybe absolutely absolutely yeah we don't worry about the haters bro we don't worry about the pigeon fest yeah um (laughs) happy birthday i appreciate it brother Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I'm just gonna keep drinking these beers solo action. That's just how we how we do it here. But uh do it. but thanks again, bro. Be good.